Now turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read for another time the first ten verses of this chapter. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. For unto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and his inerrant word. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, at least the first part. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. And my subject today is the preciousness of Christ or the most precious person in the world. See, listen to what Peter says. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. This, of course, is a reference to Christ. And the context will bear that out. The Bible uses the word precious 72 times. I looked it up in Bible Gateway. And of course, we could preach a whole series of messages preaching on the precious things of God. One of the old Puritans, a man by the name of Octavius Winslow, who was born in London and then taken as a child to New York, he wrote a book, having preached 12 sermons on the precious things of God. And here's Peter, and in his writings, he's using this word precious. 
And remember, he's writing to encourage a people that are suffering hardship and persecution. A people perhaps on the verge of giving up, quitting the Christian life, going back to their heathenism, paganism, or their Judaism. And to encourage and help them, he mentions in his two letters five things that are precious. In 1 Peter 1 and 7, he mentions precious trials. Have you ever thought of the trials of life being precious? He talks about the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. He then talks about, in chapter 1 verse 19, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through to 7, he uses the word precious three times. And we'll see in a moment who he's talking about. In his second letter, in 2 Peter 1 and 1, he talks about precious faith. And then he talks about precious promises in 2 Peter 1 and 4. Now I want you to notice. Out of all the precious things that Peter could talk about, and he uses the word precious five times. He talks about precious trials, and the precious blood, and precious faith, and precious promises. Three times he uses the word precious, referring to the most precious person in all of the world. Let's read verses 4 through to 7. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. There's the first reference. He then says in verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. Notice he calls Isaiah scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. There's the second time. And here's the third time. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. And in all these references, he is talking about Jesus Christ. Young people, he is telling us that Jesus Christ is a living stone, rejected, yes, of men, but chosen of God and precious. And, and then he quotes the scriptures. And he says, look, this is not something new that I have dreamed up. This is something that Isaiah, the evangelical prophet, preached about. It's a statement of fact. God says, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. He's elect. He is precious. He that believeth in him shall not be confounded. Then he adds verse 7. Unto you, therefore, in light of this statement of fact from the evangelical prophet, in light of what I've just said about Christ, you also which believe he is precious. You see, the preciousness of Christ is being spoken of. And that's why I've entitled the message, The Most Precious Person in the Whole World. Now, three simple things this morning. I know I've preached in this maybe at least twice before. This is new material. And I trust and pray that God will bless it to our hearts. I want you to think of the principle of Christ's preciousness. You see, the word precious, underline that, that means something 
or someone that's of great intrinsic worth. That's what the word precious means. Someone or something that's highly valued. In fact, something or someone that you cannot set too high a value on. We talk about precious jewels. We talk about precious works of art. We talk about precious minerals and metals of the earth. Maybe we could illustrate. I can remember on one occasion being in Edinburgh Castle. Has anybody ever been to Edinburgh Castle? If you go to Edinburgh, it's a great city. History is oozing out of every brick in Edinburgh. But I can remember being in Edinburgh Castle. And of course, that's where they house the crown jewels of Scotland. I trust they're still there. But I can remember the, the tour guide. He was a, a sort of a Glaswegian and he's a bit of a joker. And, and he says, now, there's no point in trying to steal them. He says, because you can't sell them. They're priceless. They're one of a kind. And they're so rare. You see, if somebody did steal them, they couldn't sell them on eBay. They couldn't even sell them to a private buyer because they're priceless. They're rare. They're one of a kind. In other words, they're too precious to be bought. And when you think of Christ, to whom Peter's making reference, Christ, there's none like him. He is unique. And Peter's saying here, Christ is the only person that's to be highly prized, highly esteemed, and highly valued by every true believer. You see, every true believer comes to see, comes to grasp and understand something of the preciousness of Christ. Now, this is a test. Let me ask this morning, is Christ precious to you as a believer? You see, this is a sign of your spiritual life. This is a sign to tell you and teach you whether you're genuinely saved or not. This book that I made reference to, Octavius Winslow's book, The Precious Things of God, the first sermon is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. I have to confess to you, I took it with me uh, on Friday at going down to Tralee. I thought I might get the opportunity to read the sermon. I thought I might have got it read even late into Friday night or on Saturday. And I have to tell you, like all other times when I go on holiday, I take books with me. I tend to read them. Tensions are good, but circumstances never work out. And I carry them home again and they're unread. And the only thing that I got looking at was really the preface to the sermon. But this is what caught my eye as I just read the opening words of what Octavius Winslow, the Puritan, had to say. And I read, listen to me carefully, a felt conviction of the preciousness of the Savior has ever been regarded by enlightened ministers of the gospel as constituting a scriptural and unmistakable evidence of the existence of divine life in the soul. And in moments when neither time nor circumstances would admit of a close scrutiny of a theological creed or a nice analysis of spiritual feeling and emotion, 
One simple inquiry upon which the whole matter is made to hinge has been this. What is your experience of the worth of a saviour? Literally, is Jesus Christ precious to your heart? And the, the answer to this question, people, young and old, boy and girl, has been to the examiner. The test and measure of the soul's spiritual and vital change. Now let's be clear. There are those in this world to whom Christ is not precious. If you look at verse 7 very carefully, there's a contrast. But unto you, therefore, it's belief. He's talking about the believer. He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, there's a reference to the unbeliever. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner. You see, it's a sign. If Christ is not precious to you this morning, then it simply means this, that you're not the true believer. We were singing, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 in my precious Lord I see. We were singing as well deliberately, take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With the Savior watching over me, I can sing through billows rule. Even in the midst of trial and tribulation, there's the preciousness of Christ to your soul. Now, do you know and love Christ this morning? Is he precious to you now at this moment, today at this hour? C could you say truthfully, well, 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 listen, preacher, I would not give up Christ for anything or anyone. Remember I've said before, if someone come to your door and we're all sort of from a, a working class background, and I thank God for my working class background. I can identify with the working class people. I told the uh, person that was cutting my hair just on Friday that, that I wouldn't want to be a billionaire. I wouldn't want to have the burden and responsibility of loads of money. But imagine someone coming to your door and saying, look, I can give you millions of pounds. In fact, I could make you a billionaire, but here's the deal. You've got to give up Christ. You can never mention him, think about him, or have anything to do with him. What would you choose? See, he's incomparable, Peter says. There's none like him. What think ye of Christ? Is Jesus Christ precious to your heart and life, the object of your greatest affection, and you wouldn't give him up for anything, not even for millions of pounds? Is it any wonder in the Song of Solomon in chapter 5 we read, He is altogether lovely. Or we talk about him as the chiefest of 10,000 to our soul. The one that stands head and shoulders above the rest. The heavenly bridegroom. The bride and the morning star. The lily of the valley. The rose of Sharon. The pearl of great price. So that you would sell all. And do all. That you might get him. And have him. You see for the true believer. The answer to these questions. Is all Yes. That's the immediate response of every believer. And if the Lord comes and says, look, 
Lovest thou me more than these as he did to Peter? We would have to say with Peter, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Yes, our love is feeble. Yes, it's weak. Yes, it's even tainted with sin and imperfection. But there's a love for Christ in our soul, and we wouldn't give him up for anything. Notice also here in this principle, and I just want you to point out the margin. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. There's a marginal reading. Notice the word precious is also translated honor. He is an honor. You see, the word precious in verse 7 is a different Greek word from what is used in verse 4 and in verse 6. In other words, he's an honor. You see, it speaks of the great privileges of being a Christian, of being in union with Christ. The living Christ is the living stone, the one chosen of God, the one that's elect and precious. It's a wonderful honor to know and love him. It's a wonderful honor to have him as precious to the soul. It's a wonderful position to be in, in Christ. It's a tremendous privilege. It's a precious and honorable thing to be saved in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Unto you therefore is believe. What a privilege. What an honor. See, Peter's being full of encouragement. This is a cause for praise, a cause for thanksgiving. Remember, he's out to encourage God's people. He's saying to them, despite your circumstances, despite your situation. In the context, he says, remember, I want you to make progress in the Christian life. I want you to grow spiritually. And he's told them how. He's saying to them, remember to get your eyes on him. The one to whom you constantly come. The living stone. The one chosen of God and precious. Fill your mind with the fact that it's an honor to be saved. Because you know the most precious person in the whole wide world. There's none like him. That's the principle of Christ's preciousness. Notice very quickly. Secondly, the proof of Christ's preciousness. I want you to see the worth of Christ here. How do we know that Christ is precious? Well, do you know that Christ is precious to God the Father? Let's link it in with verse 4. But chosen of God and precious. You contrast the attitude of God and the attitude of man. Disallowed indeed of man, rejected of man, but chosen of God and precious. There's a contrast between the attitude and the actions of God and the attitude and actions of man. The world rejects Christ. Christ is rejected of men. In fact, the Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him. The unbeliever stumbles over Christ. They have heard of him, of course. They know something of his glory and his beauty, something of his work and something of his worth. They know their need of him. They even know they're sinners. They know they've got souls. They know they need to be saved. But they feel nothing of their sinnership. 
They, they feel nothing for him or, or, or feel nothing after him. There's nothing in their heart but contempt for him. There's a spirit of apathy and indifference. Yet in contrast to being disallowed indeed of men, the Father bears witness and testimony to Christ. Over there in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 8, the Lord Jesus is presented to us as wisdom that is personified. Listen to what we read in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 22. He says, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. Two times in the New Testament, we read God the Father saying to uh, a crowd of listeners, the disciples, this is my beloved son in whom I am well placed. Now, now think of that. Here's the father witnessing from heaven and he's witnessing about Christ and he's saying to the disciples, he's saying to others, listen, there's one thing I want you to know. I value him highly. I am well pleased with him. He is precious to me. See, God the Father holds Jesus Christ very dear. He's not only chosen of God, but he's precious to the Father. And if the Father says he is precious to him, then he is precious indeed. And of God the Father esteems him precious, thinking about his worth, then how much more ought we? Here's the proof that he's precious. The Father esteems him precious. See him not only in his worth, but see him in his work. Remember who he is? He's the everlasting son of the everlasting Father. He's co-equal with God. He's very God of very God. He's one with the Father. I have no doubt in the machinations of the minds of men, that's a myth. Many people talk today, even preachers, clergymen, Christ is just a man, a mere man. But I want to tell you, Christ is not a myth. He's not just a man. He just didn't die the death of a martyr. He's the God-man. Remember what we read in John 1, verses 1 to 3, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. And in him was life. And the life was the light of man. Jesus Christ, remember, came into this world via the incarnation. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Nine times in the Bible, explicitly and expressly, Jesus Christ is called God. We think of his virgin birth. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. On this earth, he lived a sinless life. He, he did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He lived amongst us in the likeness of sinful flesh. He lived the life of a servant. He, he washed feet. He, he healed the sick. He, he, he fed the hungry. He, he preached sermons. And then he went all the way to the cross. You, you think of him being stripped naked 
and being beaten with the whip of cat of nine tails until his flesh is running red with blood. They plant a crown of thorns, one to four or five inches long, and crush it on his lovely brow. They take him out to, to Mount Calvary and they strip him naked. You can hear the hammer blow off the nails into his hands and his feet. Did he writhe in pain? Was there agony? Was there moans and groans? Of course there was. And then God the Father turning away his face from his son. Remember he said in Psalm 22 and 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The justice of God had to be satisfied. The law of God that had been broken had to be kept perfectly and fulfilled. Turn over there to Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to look with me at the verse 10. Isaiah 53. Now, how often have you read Isaiah 53? Isaiah chapter 53. A familiar chapter. Look with me at verse 10, folks. Now, let's, let's look at the book now. Cost you nothing to look at the book. Let's just open up the place. Isaiah 53 and 10. Look at what it says. Yet, do you get the words? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was pleasing to God, the death of Christ. There's a story told about a lady in England who had a housekeeper. This particular lady lived in a big mansion, was a Jewess. She was old and frail. And uh, her housekeeper said to her, who was, happened to be a Christian, would you like me to read to you from the Scriptures? And the old lady said, yes, providing it's not from the New Testament. I don't want to hear the New Testament. And the housekeeper said, well, can I read from the Old Testament? Yes, please do. So she started to read Isaiah 53. And she come to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord. To bruise him. And the old lady shouted out, Stop, stop. I told you not to read from the New Testament. I just want you to read from the Old Testament. The housekeeper said, But I'm reading from Isaiah. Chapter 53. It's all about the Messiah, miss. It's all about his sufferings and death on the cross. And do you know when he was on the cross? It pleased God the Father to put him to death and to make his soul an offering for sin. And of course, the son came into the world and did this. And you know what the father said to him, son, if you do this work for me, I'm going to give you a gift. Now, now you young people know what it's like if you maybe wash the car, maybe brush out an outhouse or a storehouse. Dad or granddad will say, I'll have a wee present for you. Maybe a bar of chocolate. It might be a pound. It might be two pounds. It might be some other little present. And your work is rewarded. But what did God the Father give Christ? He said, son of a gift for you. You know what the gift was? You and me as vile, guilty, hell-deserving sinners. A brand of depraved sinners, son. They're precious to me. I have chosen them for you. And I'm giving them as a gift. And if you bleed and die for them, son... The redemption of their soul will be precious. Isn't that what he says in Psalm 49 and verse 8? The redemption of their soul is precious. Christ is the object of the Father's delight. He became obedient unto death. The object of death. 
having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. Christ is precious to us because we were precious to him. The Father gave them to him as a gift when he bled and died for us. See him in his work. See him in his ways. You know, Christ will never, ever disappoint you as a believer. Look at verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, And he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. The word confounded, you know, means to be put to shame, disgraced, cast to the one side. Christ will never disappoint his children. He will never put us to shame. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. He, he will never be spurned by us. Or he will never disown us. He will never say to a true believer, you're not mine. The hymn writer says, he is not a disappointment. He can't disappoint his people. He is precious to the Father. And he's precious to us because we are precious to him. And here's another area. He's precious in his treatment of us. Ah, folks, so often we disappoint him. So often we can disown him by our lifestyle choices, even by our words. So often we can spurn him in a spurt of coldness and carelessness. Oh, it's true, we disappoint one another at times. I, as a pastor, can disappoint you as members of the church. Parents can disappoint their children. Children can disappoint their parents. Wives can disappoint their husbands. Husbands can disappoint their wives. Brothers and sisters can disappoint each other. That's the way we are. We're sinners. Let's never forget they're prone to error, prone to make mistakes. But listen to this glorious truth. Christ will never ever be a disappointment to us. Maybe you're here this morning and say, but wait a minute, you don't know about my trials. You don't know about my hard circumstances. Even in your trials and your hard circumstances, he will not disappoint you. Remember old Jacob? All these things are against me. And listen, there are times in our own heart and mind we're filled with worry. We worry about our children. Worry about cash flow problems. Worry about things in the church. Congregationally and denominationally. We worry about circumstances. And we can't see how it's going to work out. And we say, it's, it's not going to be possible for that to happen. And then the Lord steps in and changes the situation around. See, he's the master planner. And he will never, ever embarrass, abandon, or disappoint his children. Even when we're cold and backslidden in heart. Even when we sin against him. Even when we're empty and devoid of grace in our heart. He'll come and say, look, I'm still here. I haven't gone away, you know. I'll never leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. You see, all this here is proof of how precious he is. We were singing about the preciousness of Christ and not him deliberately. Let's remember the proof. Let's see him today and his worth. 
He's the eternal son of the father. The one in whom the father is well pleased. Let's see him in his work. And that pleased the father. Let's see him in his ways. How he treats us. Oh that's pleasing to the father. Notice finally. The people to whom Christ is precious. He says unto you therefore which believe. He is precious. Now the word therefore means in light of this. What he has said about Christ. A living stone. Rejected of man. Chosen of God. Elect and precious. You see the only way folks to know that Christ is precious. Is by faith alone in him. And what is faith? Oh yes it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The act of regeneration. But if we look upon an acrostic forsaking all I take him. Or trust him. It's seeing him with the eye of faith. In his work, in his ways, in his worth. It's seizing him with the hand of faith. It's filling our hearts and minds through faith with him and the tree. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul could never get away from that. Filling our hearts and minds with the fact that he's not in the tomb. Like like the message, Joseph is alive. Jesus is alive. He's alive forevermore. And he walks and he talks with me in life's journey. Fill our hearts and minds with him in the throne room. He's there to reign. And we know that it's real because we have experienced and tasted of Christ. Not from a book, not not from a school, not, not from a teacher. We have tasted his graciousness. We have come to him by faith. We have believed in him to the saving of our soul. These are all synonyms for this word faith. Do you feel your own helplessness this morning? Are you conscious of your own sinnership? You've sinned against him in thought and word and deed. You know you have a soul. You know you need to be saved. Let me ask you this. Have you laid hold on Christ with the hand of faith? Have you saw him with the eye of faith in who he is and what he has done? And have you come to him? You see... The people that believe in Christ love Christ. We don't love him as we ought. But we do love him. Isn't the word precious tied into the language of love and affection? Think of a dad that's been away, say, for a week, a few weeks. I can remember this time last year, I suppose, coming back from Tasmania and getting hugs and kisses from the family. And been told, well, we missed you. Even they didn't have to say a word. The very fact that there was a hug, there was a kiss, there was a handshake. It was saying, well, we missed you. You see, the word precious ties into the language of love. And if we love him, we will live for him. And if I could just give this analogy. Remember when we were courting if we can cast our mind back that long, um, just on Easter Tuesday, 
Uh, Rosemary and I had met in the Easter Convention of the Faith Mission 30 years ago. It was around that weekend. And we were reminiscing and celebrating that fact. But you know, in the courting stages, young men, young women, or even when you get married, in the courting stage or in the marital stage, even up to this hour when you're married 25 or 27 years, there's little things can upset a husband and a wife. More so it's the little things that the husband does that upsets the wife and makes her mad. You know, leaving the towel in the bathroom floor, leaving the tube of toothpaste off or the toilet seat up or something like that there. Little stupid things, but they get really mad about them and, and they, they give you all sorts of grief. And you know, out of love, you want to deal with that. And you want to try and remember, I'll put the towel away, I'll screw the toothpaste bag on, I'll put the toilet seat down. So I'm pleasing them. Now, now we do that, don't we, in our interpersonal relationship. Now think about Christ. You see, if we love him and want to live for him, we lay aside everything that grieves him. Everything that would bring shame and hurt to the cause of Christ. And also, we'll make use of everything that draws us closer to him. You see, in life, don't we remember birthdays? Don't we remember anniversaries? Remember special little things that happened in our relationship in the context of a family? Why? Because that brings us closer to each other. Oh, you didn't forget. And think of all that brings us closer to Christ, the word of God. Attending the prayer meeting, being faithful at the church services, coming to hear a word from God. There's so many things. Making use of them brings us closer to Christ. But it all starts with laying hold upon him by faith. And when we get the hold of Christ and he's the hold of us and our hearts and love for him and we want to live for him, we'll be loyal to him and we'll stand up for him and we'll speak out for him. And let me ask, the people to whom Christ is precious is the true believer. Are you a true believer? Is Christ precious to you? Is it an honour and a privilege that you're saved? Can you say you're among the people of God? May the Lord bless these few thoughts to your hearts today. Thank you so much and being so kind to listen.